0: Christmas, yeah.
1: Like this, this morning. It means for us. And I think it's so important as we celebrate this time uh, to really grasp that concept. Um, It's great to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus every day as a Christian, but certainly this is a time in the calendar uh, where we're encouraged to do that um, even more. Uh, You know, the idea of the resurrection, if you're a Christian today, the idea of the resurrection should excite you just like that. We should have woken up today and we should have felt the same things those actors, uh, portrayed as they got that text message, um, on their phone. So I want to open it up for a moment. Uh, this will be some audience participation. Uh, it's not just me who should be thinking about these things. Uh, for you, if you're a Christian today, and if you're not, that's okay. And you can share too. Uh, what's, what's the thing that excites you most about the idea of Jesus resurrecting from the dead? What's something that that, that that makes you feel the way those people in that video felt when it comes to the resurrection? Any thoughts on that? Just raise your hand and you can stand up where you are. All the way in the back, my wife. The enemy defeated. The enemy has been defeated. Thank you, Paul. I, I wish I had a microphone to, to get everybody, but good job, Paul. Thank you. Many. <laughs> Oh, you won. Mandy? Yeah, the idea of eternal life, yes. Saw a hand over here. Okay. The unique the uniqueness of Christianity really is in many ways it comes to a head in the resurrection. Yeah, thank you, Donna. Right? Yeah, just 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 this transformation that can occur when we, when we see that even death itself was conquered and sin in many ways in the Bible is, is equated to death. Uh, we'll talk about that here um, in a moment. Yeah, so it's great it's great to celebrate, um, but in reality. Uh, The real and exciting story of Easter here that we're talking about, um, that Jesus indeed rose from the grave on the third day, as He predicted He would, uh, today is getting more and more blurry. It's getting more and more confusing in the midst of unbelief. Uh, in the midst, dare I even say, of chocolate and Easter eggs and all those things, uh, it starts to get a bit blurry. And, and the excitement starts to get lost when the clarity, when the clarity is not there. An interesting article I read this week, and perhaps you did too, uh, in the, on the BBC online, uh, gave some really shocking statistics uh, about the UK and how we see uh, the resurrection. One of them was exactly half of all people surveyed did not believe in the resurrection at all. And so as you walk out of the street this week, one in every two people you encounter statistically won't even believe in this idea of a resurrection. Uh, The second, almost one in ten people of no religion say they do believe the Easter story. That's encouraging. But they say it has some content that should not be taken literally. So one in ten say they're not religious, but they sort of believe in it, but they're on very shaky ground. Because there's parts of the story they don't even necessarily themselves um, believe. Uh, And then lastly, this is probably the most shocking one. A quarter of people who describe themselves as Christians in the survey in Great Britain do not believe in the resurrection of Jesus. Which is a, hopefully by the end of this time we talk here, you'll see it's a complete contradiction of everything that it means uh, to be a Christian. So we're going to talk about that. So it sounds like, based on this survey... And and probably uh, what what we've seen in the world today, that it's good for us to to resurrect some faith on this resurrection day, amen? And so let's look at three things here this afternoon that can hopefully help us to maybe for the first time, if you're you're visiting with us and maybe you don't even believe in the resurrection, perhaps today can help you to start that journey where you can believe uh, in this guy Jesus and what he taught, so much that you can even believe uh, that he rose from the grave. And if you do believe in Jesus, that you, can, you can see that, that that faith that you have in Him is built on solid ground. And so three things here this afternoon before we take communion to wrap up our time. The first is resurrecting facts. Uh, let's look at here some resurrecting facts. Um, you know, there, there's a lot of certainty uh, in the Christian faith. Paul himself, the Apostle, said to King Agrippa in Acts 26, he said that the Christian faith is both true and reasonable. Uh, and what uh, the modern study of that today Is called apologetics Is this idea that we can defend the Christian faith uh, Not just with what the Bible says But with history With truth and, and, and even logic um, So we'll attempt to look at that here uh, Together uh, on this first point point. Um, and what's interesting about the resurrection Is it's, it's one of those truth pillars It's one of those truth pillars uh, When it comes to uh, the Christian faith It says in Acts 1 uh, verse 3, it says, or Luke records thereafter after Jesus' is suffering, it says, Jesus, as He's resurrected, presented Himself to the apostles and gave many convincing proofs that He was alive. And it says, He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. Uh, the resurrection then goes on and it is preached in Acts 2.24, Acts 3.15, Acts 4.33, 10.40, And 17, uh, the 17th chapter, verse 3. And what's interesting is is it goes on further when you look at the New Testament. uh, The Apostle Paul will later uh, talk about the resurrection significantly in 1 Corinthians 15. And I'll encourage you to read that on your own uh, another time. But we're just going to look at a few bits and pieces of what Paul says here. This is actually the earliest uh, recorded letter that we have in the New Testament. Uh, Scholars date... uh, that Paul wrote 1 Corinthians around 53 A.D. They can nail down the dating of this letter that was written. So this is only about 20 years after Jesus was killed and resurrected from the dead as the Bible proclaims. So within 20 years, Paul says this. He says uh, in verse 3, For what I received I pass on to you as of first importance that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried and that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. He then goes on in verse 14, And if Christ has not been raised, Our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. Then again in verse 17, And if Christ has not been raised, referring to the resurrection, your faith, he says, is futile. He's talking to the church. And you are still in your sins. So within 20 years of the ministry of Jesus, the gospel message was a well-established fact that Jesus died on the cross He was buried in the tomb, and on the third day, it was a well-established fact, within 20 years of that that event, that that, that Jesus rose from the dead. And and so so Paul makes this strong point here, and he says, it's all or nothing with the resurrection. So when it comes to the Christian faith, you know, in, in poker terms, for lack of a better analogy, all of our chips are on the table when it comes to the resurrection. And so we should examine uh, briefly here uh, some of the facts, some of the facts that are indisputable in history uh, that have to do with uh, the resurrection. I'd like to do that here this afternoon. Uh, Just six quick things here, six indisputable facts uh, about the resurrection. The first is that Jesus was crucified and his death followed. All four Gospels, of course, claim this. Josephus, a Jewish historian, himself said that this happened. And so did Tacitus, a Roman historian. He also himself said that this happened. Uh, John 19, uh, 33-34 says that the Roman soldiers made sure that Jesus himself was dead when he was on the cross. They stabbed him in the side to make sure that he indeed was dead. So that's the first indisputable fact. The second is Jesus was buried in the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea. Uh, John 19, uh, verse 41 actually states the exact location in Jerusalem. And the name of the guy's tomb... Joseph was, a, was a part of the Jewish ruling council called the Sanhedrin. He was a man who was known to be, uh, you know, a, a very devout Jew amongst those in Jerusalem. And they say that it was that man who volunteered his tomb and actually the location uh, in John 19, uh, verse 41. The third thing here is that the Sunday after Jesus' death, some women and his disciples found his tomb empty. Again, all four Gospels claim this. Uh, and, and, and note, uh, the empty tomb was claimed in the city where he was killed, and in a tomb in which his enemies knew he had been buried. An easy way to stop this Christian sect, according to the Jewish authorities who opposed it, would have been to produce the dead body. Yet we have no record of such thing in history. In Matthew 28, 11-15, uh, actually says that the Jewish authorities actually started a, a cover-up. And they paid the soldiers off to say that his disciples came and stole away his body. You know, they overcame the Roman guards and, and stole away his body. Uh, that's how far they went the other way. The fourth fact here. For about 40 days, we read this in Acts 1, verse 3. Some of Jesus' followers claimed to have real personal experiences with the resurrected Christ. Uh, and all four Gospels state this. Acts 1, 3 affirms that it was over a 40 day period, it wasn't just a few minutes, it was over a 40 day period. Uh, in 1 Corinthians 15.6, uh, which we just read, read through earlier, actually we didn't read it, but it actually says there in 1 Corinthians 15.6, Paul says there there are over 500 eyewitnesses that are still alive today, that, that, that saw the resurrected Christ. So he says, in other words, if you don't believe me, go ask them. The fifth fact here, the disciples of Jesus believed he had physically risen from the dead. In Luke 24, 36 to 43, the disciples think Jesus is a ghost. They're startled when he he appears in resurrected form. So he tells them to to touch his body. And he says, Do you have something to eat? And he eats. He eats in their presence. Just 50 days later, uh, the first sermon preached, uh, you know, gospel sermon preaches by Peter in Acts chapter 2. In Acts chapter 2, Peter stands at the Pentecost, right? He preaches the first gospel sermon in Acts 2. Uh, and that's just 50 days after the Passover when Jesus was crucified. So within 50 days, in Acts two, twenty nine to thirty two, it actually talks about David proclaiming that Jesus had resurrected from the dead physically. He literally he literally talks about his body did not see decay in Acts two, verse thirty one. And so it was, it was not a spiritual resurrection, in other words, is the fifth uh, indisputable this fact. The, 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 the Bible claims very clearly that it was a physical resurrection, that Jesus' body rose back to life. And sixth and finally here, a central part of the Gospel from the very beginning was the resurrection of Jesus. As I said, it's mentioned um, you know, six times in the, in, in the book of Acts. Uh, it's mentioned in Matthew's Gospel, Mark's, Luke's, and John's. It's mentioned in the book of Romans, it's mentioned in 1 Corinthians, it's mentioned in Ephesians, Colossians, and 1 Peter. And so, of course, in light of these facts, uh, there are still many critics, many people who doubt uh, the resurrection of Christ. Uh, We went out and shared our faith as a church on Wednesday at Cannon Hill Park, and and Paul Henry and Ricky Gambino and myself ran into one of those people who was quite skeptical, and and he was a bit hostile about it. But anyway... um, so certainly there's, there's criticism that, uh, that is out there. What are the, the major criticisms? Well, first, it's a legend. This is just made up. It's a story. It's a fairy tale. It didn't really happen. But legends, legends take hundreds of years between the time that people claim the thing happened and the actual events. Because if I said to you guys, well, hey, I'm American. And, you know, 15 years ago, Abraham Lincoln was the president of the United States. You'd all look at me like I was crazy because you could find somebody or you could even just think back if you've been here for, you know, you were an adult 15 years ago and you would know, no, 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 that's not correct. It was Bill Clinton or George W. Bush or whoever it was, right? You could you could disprove my falsity because you were there. Within 20 years of Jesus' resurrection that was claimed, the, tr- the churches are proclaiming that he had resurrected from the dead. The gospel was intact. So it could not have been a legend. That's a very poor argument. The second is that Jesus somehow faked his death. It's known as the swoon theory. But it's very unlikely. Roman soldiers were given orders, and if they did not execute those orders, they would themselves be killed. So they made sure, and we talked about that in John 19, that Jesus was dead uh, before they took him off that cross, because those were their orders. Not to mention Roman and Jewish accounts say that Jesus died in that crucifixion. We read that earlier. Uh, The third argument is that the resurrection was fabricated. It was a, a story twisted by the apostles. Um, But if you you think about what the apostles had to gain... And if you think about the apostles' unique position in history... Here are guys who grew up... They were all Jewish. They were ostracized for believing in this Jesus guy. Their very lives were threatened in the end. all All the apostles except for John were killed... For their proclamation of this guy raising from the dead. And they were in a unique position... Because you might die or I might die for something we believe to be true... But you would not die for something you knew was false... And you knew it was made up. You know, it's interesting, even the, the, the gospel accounts, they vary a little bit. Was there one angel? Was there two? Who was the first person that Jesus appeared to? They actually, all, all the accounts don't actually even match up exactly fact-to-fact, word-to-word. But what's interesting is if you were going to collaborate and make up a story, you would be very careful to all have the same story. That way, if anybody's trying to accuse it of being false, you have a very airtight story. But the gospels, they don't do that. They don't do that at all, which actually shows you that they were just telling people what they saw. And what's interesting is all four Gospels do agree that the tomb was empty. And that's the fact that matters most. Amen. And so we got to resurrect the facts. We as Christians, we, we, we need to proclaim the resurrection. We need to proclaim the facts. Uh, that are involved in the resurrection. We need to actually see that it's actually something that, that we should be proud of, that we should that we should put out there, that we should not be afraid to even logically share uh, with those who do not yet believe. And we don't do that in a self-righteous way. We do that in a sincere and real way, because we do believe uh, that the resurrection is not, it's not just pie-in-the-sky theology. It's based on tangible, real, historical facts. I hope today we can see and be further convinced that the resurrection is a strongly supported fact, that can give anyone uh, great faith in God in the end. I love this quote by Greg Hansen. It's on my Facebook page. The simple faith of the Christian who believes in the resurrection is nothing compared to the credulity of the skeptic who will accept the wildest and most improbable romances rather than admit the plain witness of historical certainties. The difficulties of belief may be great. The absurdities of unbelief are greater. Resurrecting facts... Second here is resurrecting power. We'll read the scripture here together. If you'd like more notes on all those facts, I do have some files and I can email those to you. Forrest.versell at gmail.com. Feel free to email me and I can send that to you because I know we flew through that. Um, Resurrecting power here. Romans chapter 6, you can turn there. You know, the resurrection, it's a a powerful fact, but it's also a powerful reality in the life of a Christian. In Romans 6, uh, verses 8-11, through 11, Paul is he's he's challenging the church in Rome that if you're a Christian, you cannot live in sin. Amen, church? Amen. Uh, and, and the reason he says that we should not live in sin as Christians is because we participated when we were baptized in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. So then he goes on to talk about this idea of resurrection and how that connects to our power over sin. And he says in Romans 6, verse 8, if we died with Christ, referring to that baptism... We believe that we will also live with Him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, He cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over Him. The death He died, referring to Jesus, He died to sin once for all. But the life He lives, He lives to God. Then He brings it back to us. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. So this is like Christ in death uh, and this is a spiritual death in our baptism We eventually find life And here the, the practical reality of that Is we find power to overcome sin The Bible always equates sin to death uh, in, in many different passages And uh, you know for me I grew up in the States Obviously I don't That's not a Brummie accent you're hearing um, And I didn't really have uh, any kind of real belief in God. I didn't grow up really religious at all. Never went to church, nothing like that. Uh, and I remember as a, as a teenager starting to think about deeper things for the first time. You know, the brain starts working a little bit better in the teen years. And in some ways, it doesn't work very well at all. But um, Amen, teens. And uh, so, so I remember I would lay in my bed at night. Maybe this happened to you recently, or when you were growing up. And I and I, and I would think, wait, if 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 I'm only alive for X number of years, then when I die, like that's it. Like, I no longer exist. Like, the very thoughts that I'm having right now, they're not going to be there. My, my, my very being is not even going to exist anymore. I'm just going to be nothing. And I, my heart would start racing. I would start sweating. I would get up and I would just be terrified. And it would always happened at night when I was trying to go to sleep for some reason. This would make it even worse. It was like a, I was, it was a nightmare I was awake for, you know. And, and it would just terrify me. I mean, terrify me. Uh, because if you, think, if you take atheism all the way out to, to, to the idea of once you die, that is it. That is it. You're gone. Everything about you, it, it no longer exists. And that very thought would terrify me. And so I, I tried to put that away by, by living life and making the best of my life. And so, uh, you know, growing up, you know, I was taught, you know, school makes life great. Finding the, you know finding the right girl that you eventually marry will, will make your life great. Uh, being being a great athlete, you know all that that force will will make your life great. And when I went to university, uh, you know I was all about those things. I thought I was going to be the man on campus. You know I was going to do things and I was going to make this happen and my American dream was going to come true. And uh, I got humbled. The girl I started dating dumped me for an older you know upperclassman. Uh, I got into my engineering class and I and, and, and took my first test and I failed it. And, and everyone else passed and I thought, oh, I'm not as smart as I thought I was. And, and then I remember playing basketball for the first time and, you know, thinking I was a pretty good basketball player there and this guy dunked on me. I'd never been dunked on before. I was like, what is going on? so. All All the things I thought would make my life worth something and make my life valuable, and make my life have meaning were being pulled out from under me and and exposed to what they were. I was looking for life in all the wrong places. I was looking for life in things that that in the end are temporary. And they cannot really bring me the life I was designed to live. But as I encountered Jesus through some disciples of Jesus who, who approached me and started presenting the true Jesus to me and the true meaning of life through Him... As I realized this idea of resurrection, I thought, wait a second. If the resurrection is true, there's no other way to find true life. Because this says you're only alive, Romans 8, in Christ. And so the resurrection actually exposed for me all that that deadness, all that falsehood that I thought was truly life. We read it in the Welcome. As uh, the women find the tomb empty, they encounter two angels on Easter morning, and they say, why do you look for the living among the dead? I, 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 was, I was looking for life in things ultimately that are dead. I'm not saying those things don't matter. Relationships and school and work and, amen, they have their place in life, but in the end, those things are temporary. In, in the end, those things can't give me eternal life. And that for me was a, was a, was a startling and life changing uh, revelation. And, and and you know if you're visiting with us today, have you found life? And I want you to really think about the resurrection and how it teaches us that you cannot find life among the dead. The bottom of that bottle ain't gonna bring life. The perfect party it ain't gonna bring life. That guy, that girl, they, they ain't gonna bring real life. That career, that amount of money in your bank account, it's not going to bring real life. That's what, that's what the resurrection shouts to us today. It shouts to us about what life is really all about. And if you're visiting with us today and you don't know Christ yet, help us to help you find Him so you can find the power of a resurrected life. And, church, have we forgotten about the power? I feel every day. That power just starts slipping away in my life. I feel every day I'm in danger of not getting the incredible power of the resurrection. That incredible power that we just we just read about to even overcome sin. You know that video, those are actors. Jesus didn't actually give them a text message or the Holy Spirit. But but sometimes we're more excited about the Aston Billow fixture results... Resurrection of Jesus. And I can go on and on and on and on. You all know exactly what I'm talking about. Have we forgot about the resurrection power? The church can never forget that. We can never lose sight of that. If we don't have that, we are not the church at some point. And brothers and sisters in Christ, we, we've got to get this power. We've got to tap into it. We've got to talk about it. We've got to celebrate it every day, not just on Easter Day. Because it is real and it is alive in us. And we can have that more and more and more if we want. If we see that that's really where we find life. Resurrecting facts. Resurrecting power. And finally here, resurrecting prayer. Resurrecting prayer. We are, as a church... Hopefully more excited about the resurrection. But another thing we're doing is we're sending out prayer this month as a church. We're having sermons on it. We're talking about it. Um, and you might think, oh, it's a bit of a stretch to uh, combine Easter and prayer. Uh, but it's, re- it's really not, actually, uh, when you start to think about it. Prayer uh, is essential. It's essential to the Easter story. Jesus, what was He doing the night before He was arrested? He was in the Garden of Gethsemane praying to His God. Once he's arrested and he's falsely accused and and eventually crucified, over and over on the cross he speaks to his heavenly Father. Those are all instances of Jesus praying even as he's dying on the cross. Jesus resurrects, as we've already talked about in the, the book of Acts early on in the church. What are they doing with this news of the resurrected Christ? They're praying to God through him, constantly it says in the book of Acts. You know, the resurrection is God's nuclear power clearly on display. But how do we how do we plug in? Right? How do we how do we tap in to that power? We all want some of that power in our lives. Well, I believe one way for sure, and one of the greatest ways we do that, is prayer. Paul says in another place in Ephesians 1, verses 18 to 20. He's talking to the church in Ephesus and he gives some insight on what he's been praying for for them. So Paul says what what he's praying for is that they'll be enlightened in the eyes of their heart. We talked about this a few sentences ago, right? That they would get, in other words, deep inside them. Because our physical heart is not what he's referring to because we know it doesn't have eyes physically either. He's referring to this idea that that they get, they grasp, they understand the incomparably great power for Christians. And he says that power is, is similar, sort of like, no, is the same that's the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead. Whoa! You know, let's just get out of here and do something. You know? Whoa! That's amazing. That it's the same power that we can find as Christians that rose Jesus from the grave. That's present tense. That's not talking about oh yeah when he returns and we'll fly off to heaven. with him. It's talking about right now. Right now! Paul's praying that they can have that right now! That's amazing. And that's why we need to be praying more. And asking God to help us to grasp and plug in to that resurrection power. Uh, in, in Sydney, Australia, they have a thing called the Easter show. It's this big deal. and We went one year. My wife went growing up and she grew up in Australia. And uh, we, when we were living in Sydney before we moved here, we went uh, one year. And... Uh, Overpriced, you know, candy and toys and all those things. Obviously, as a dad, I wasn't impressed with that. But um, the part for me that I really enjoyed and I was glad we went and paid all the money for it was this motorbike show. And as you can see, these are photos I took from my own phone camera. So you can see here, there, there, there's a truck there. You know, so you can kind of see the height here. These guys are doing these tricks on these motorbikes, and, and they would take off on the ramp right here, and they would land on a, on a ramp down here. That's a woman right there. Who's actually using a microphone to talking about? It. They would fly over her, but you can see this guy. This guy is finishing his his, his complete flip. This guy started his, and I know it's not the greatest, uh, you know, uh, definition here. I apologize for that. But but I, I, I remember when they started. I just I almost lost my lunch. I was just like, whoa! Like what just happened? I I've never seen anything like it. I mean, it was unbelievable how high they were. And the tricks that they were doing, and I know this doesn't do it justice, you can Google it later, it's on YouTube if you want to watch it, but, um, so it blow away, but the thing that, the thing that just like rocked my world was the, the, the trick they call Superman. I got this on my camera as well. You can see there, the motorbike is flying, and you can see how high that is, maybe a little bit better there, it's a little bit further back. They go up. At one point, they let go completely of the bike and they fly like Superman. That's a guy above the motorcycle there. I was there. I saw it in person, you know, like the, the first disciples saw the resurrected Christ. <laughs> and uh, So they completely let go. Then they grab the back of the bike and they pull themselves back up on the seat and grab the handlebars
0: and land. <laughs>
1: Literally in just a few seconds while they're in the air, because eventually gravity gives way, right? Right. I'm still blown away by that to this day. It was one of the most amazing things I've ever seen a human being do. Instead of my wife giving birth to four g- girls, that's probably like the second most amazing thing I've ever seen in my life. Thank you, honey, for all that work. Um, why am I bringing this up? Because I'm a motocross fan? I'm not. No, not at all. I don't, I don't follow it. But uh, prayer is like that motorbike in this picture. It takes us somewhere. Somewhere much higher and much better than we can take ourselves. It takes us somewhere where we can start to connect to bigger and better and deeper things that we alone by ourselves cannot connect to. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying?
0: Yeah.
1: We, we, we cannot go there alone, but so somehow through our prayers, we can connect more and more to the power of of the resurrection, that's what Ephesians one was literally talking about. But but we've got to go there. We've, we've got to get on our knees. We've got to have those prayer times. We've, we've got to want to understand what God has given us in Christ. And prayer is one of the ways we, we we get on we spiritually get on that motorbike and go there and go places we could never go spiritually on our own. And amen. Yeah, gravity does set in. You can't spend your life praying, although I guess some places do that. But once we land back on Earth, then our perspective, our life, it can actually be changed. You know, if I literally did that on a motorbike, you know, tomorrow, maybe at 7 p.m. in Cannon Hill Park, you know, if I, if I literally was able to do that, you would see a motorbike and me a little bit differently after that, wouldn't you? You, you? you wouldn't see me or that motorbike quite, you know, quite the same, because you'd realize that me and that motorbike are capable more the more, more than what you thought we were. And for a moment you realize, I can fly. You know, I literally would be able to fly. You know, and that would be cool. I'm not going to do it. But uh, spiritually resurrecting prayer can be like that for us all. It can take us there. And what if, what if spiritually we get there? What is that like? Just for a few moments to really grasp the power of the resurrection and prayer. And then if we take that, once we're done praying, into our everyday lives and our struggles, and our ups and downs, and our weaknesses. It can change the way we look at those things. It can change the way we act in light of those things. You know, what if we really get resurrecting prayer, as Ephesians 1 says? Now, I hope and pray that we we, we today, on this day, can can grasp a bit more, through prayer more and more, the incredible power that we have as God's people. Uh, it's, it's the same kind of power that resurrected Jesus from the grave. And the practical this week we've had practicals every week in these sermons is to make a power prayer list. What's one thing in your personal life you want to you want to see the resurrection change? What's one thing in your family you want to see the resurrection change? What's one thing in your ministry, in our church, in this city that you want to pray about the resurrection changing powerfully in your life and in those around you? You know, let's resurrect life through prayer and see what God does. Amen. Closing our time tonight, and I thank you for listening. By taking communion, Paul uh, recalls the Last Supper, uh, which you know was just you know chronologically a few days ago, two thousand years ago. And at that Last Supper, Jesus with his disciples says he's going to be betrayed and he's going to be crucified. And uh, and so Paul recalls that in 1 Corinthians 11. And he's talking to the church about taking communion, the practice of taking bread and taking the cup that we do today and what we'll, we'll do here in a moment. And he says, For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-six, 26, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. You know, today I, I, I feel the need to, to add here uh, to the text. And I'm not trying to be a reverend here. This is not in the original Greek. And this is certainly not going to be in your Bible. I feel like we need to add an asterisk to the Lord's death. Because because when you really get that, not just that Jesus died, but that something followed that. This says that that He will return, and that's certainly part of our faith and the resurrection points to that. But the fact that He he, he didn't just die, but that He resurrected from the dead, it changes everything. Friday, Friday, the day Jesus was crucified was a dark, sad, terrible, yeah. ugly, awful day. Yeah. There was no darker day in the, in, the, in, the, in the face of history. Because Jesus, an innocent man, a loving man, a gracious man, a perfect man, died in our place. He took the wrath of God that was due us through our sin upon Himself. That was a dark, dark day Friday. But that death on Friday had an asterisk in it because Sunday was coming. Sunday was coming, despite the darkness of Friday. Spiritually and in life, we all have our Fridays. You might be in one right now. You might be going through some dark, tough stuff. But today, you know, the cross of Christ, particularly the resurrection, can change our Fridays to a Sunday. That's the hope that we have. That's the power that we have. And Easter is a reminder that the bad in our lives can and will be turned to good, whether in this life or the next Through Jesus. And as we take communion, we proclaim all the power of the death, burial, and resurrection that Jesus' cross brings. And we just looked at a few this afternoon. Resurrecting facts, resurrecting power, and resurrecting prayer. Let's go ahead and take communion together and let us uh, continue to strive to grasp the incredible gift Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection brings to our lives. Let us pray first for the bread. Father in heaven, we thank you. We thank you that uh, the Christian faith is not just based on a, a nice story from some odd time in history that was done in some corner that we can't even necessarily trace uh, its origins back to. We know it was done out in the public. It was done in a city where we know the places and the names of, of, of many of those things that are still there even today. Uh, the resurrection was claimed in Jerusalem by the men uh, and women who saw the resurrected Christ. And they died. They died for their belief. We thank you, God, uh, for the willingness of your son to sacrifice his body on the cross. This bread we're about to take represents that incredible sacrifice, that forgives us of our sins. And gives us great hope because we know God, without without the body of Christ there would be no resurrection. Without his death, God, uh, we would not have any life. And we thank you God can celebrate that today as we take communion and allow uh, Jesus' body to impact us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's pray for the cup. Father in heaven, thank you for the precious blood of your Son that was poured out for the forgiveness of many. Help us, God, to uh, be cleansed, to be renewed, to be resurrected, God, uh, by the incredible power of the cross in our lives. Thank you, God, for the incredible sacrifice your Son made. And that it can cleanse our lives and resurrect our lives and change our lives, but we know it, it came at such a great price, God. That precious blood was poured out. Thank you for uh, all that uh, the cup represents right now as we take it we pray this in the praise of Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much yes, Jesus is raised from the dead. We have one final song. There is a God,
0: he is alive. Am I right? Yes, yeah? And uh, then now we'll go back that song. downstairs. Uh, let's be inquiring about the various uh, things that we we'll need. Is this to me? Yeah.